Ladies and gentlemen, we're expecting some moderate turbulence. Please remain seated and enjoy the show. Hello. And welcome to... Moderate Turbulence. I'm Jeremy. I'm Adele. Hi, Adele. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, you know. It's going? going. <laughs> How we're, are you? Good, good. I'm good. We just gave Palm a bath and she's wet I know. on my lap, but she's, she's cute. She looks really like... Well, I mean, she's all wet and so like she has so much fur and it's all like padded down. So she looks really skinny right now. Yeah, she looks like a rat, but a cute rat. Yeah, I'll give you that. So what's going on today? Well, it's another beautiful day in Vancouver. Um, It always seems to be uh, forecasted rain. However, when we get to the day, it's sunny. It's been like this for the past... Four days. It rained like one day, but apart from that, yeah, or it, one night. Or I think rain. it rains a little bit in the morning or like overnight. But I mean, if it's sunny and beautiful during the day, like who cares? And you know, the gardens are getting watered, the grass is getting watered, and then we can enjoy the beautiful weather during the day. So you know, all's well that ends well. Yep. With that, so you know, lots of walks, and of course, the cherry blossoms are all in bloom right now as well, I which know. is we got a lot of great pictures. Yeah. Mm-hmm, this is so beautiful. It's my first time seeing them all in bloom. Um, I know it's a big thing in Japan as well. Jeremy mentioned that he, the first time he went to Japan. Yep. Yeah, I got to see the cherry blossoms. That was, uh, oh goodness, back in two thousand and one, my first ever Narita. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah well it's a it's a nice treat to be able to be here for for that and it's you know spring is definitely here in vancouver 100 percent, yeah and it's you know barely jacket weather still you know people are out in shorts all the time yep and it's uh i mean it's not that warm but as canadians we all know the feeling of the first warmer weather we just you know shed all the layers and (laughs) the t-shirts and the shorts come out even though it's you know it's still kind of mostly around 10 degrees or whatever but when it's sunny and no longer snowing we bust out the summer clothes yeah yeah uh so we had a big episode planned for this week we're running a little bit late Uh, a few personal things came up over the last uh over the last week or so uh so we were delayed in recording actually both researching and recording this but uh, we're gonna try and get this out as soon as possible um What's the big topic that we're covering this week? So we're finally going to talk about the um, Malaysian Airlines. MH370. Mm-hmm, the disappearance of that flight. And I mean, spoiler alert. I mean, if you know anything about it, we still really don't know what happened to that plane. Yeah. But we're going to talk about, I don't know the flight itself, what we do know. And we're talking about it now because about a month or so ago, new research and new developments has come to light. And, you know, there may be a possibility that if the search um, continues... Resumes, I guess, yeah. They could maybe find something yeah, or f- discover more information. So, you know, here's hoping. I can't... I can't even imagine what the families of the lost souls on that plane have been going through because this happened, what, 2014? Yeah, so it's been eight years, yeah, almost to the day. 
Because it happened in March. March, March 8th, 2014. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's eight years of not knowing what happened to your loved ones. And that's yeah, really that's, difficult. And for a modern airliner, it's just, it's unbelievable. Like, it's really unfathomable that you could lose a Boeing 777. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I'm just going to go through, I did some research. Uh, I'm going to give us a bit of a timeline of the flight itself what they think happened and uh and then we're going to bring forth some of the new research that uh, has developed that hopefully if they resume the search can find it so some references i used wikipedia um i used a bit of av herald the aviation herald which is a great website i love uh youtube specifically 60 minutes australia um and that that will be part of the the new research uh, i also used a web page called uh, mh370search.com. So this was on March 8th, 2014. This happened aboard a Boeing 777-200ER. It was flying from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing, China. We had 239 passengers on board and 12 crew. Uh, as we said, this is the biggest mystery in aviation history. So let's start with a timeline of the events. So early morning on March 8th, 42 minutes after midnight in Kuala Lumpur, flight MH370 takes off for Beijing. They were cleared to flight level 350, which is 35,000 feet. Uh, They confirmed that they reached that at 1.01 a.m. and again at 1.08. The last automated position transmission via ACARS was sent at 1.06 in the morning. Now, ACAR stands for Aircraft Communication Addressing and Reporting System. I remember, like, days following this event, everybody became an expert on ACARS, it felt like. Like, I remember watching Anderson Cooper on CNN, and everyone's like, yeah, we know all about ACARS now, and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'll just give you a quick little synopsis of what ACARS is. Think of ACARS as, like, a text message system, but it comes out on, like, a primitive fax machine. <laughs> like a data link. Is, yeah. that, is that fair to say? Yeah, it's super old school. It's like the printers at the airport when I used to work there. Yeah. Uh, So the final verbal communication from uh, this aircraft was acknowledging a transmission from Kuala Lumpur radar to Ho Chi Minh City uh, air traffic control. That was done at 1.19 a.m. while it was flying northeast over the South China Sea. So basically, as you're going from one zone to another, uh, different airspace, air traffic control hands you over to the next air traffic controllers that control that airspace. So that's just sort of the communication. So as they're handing off from one, they said, um, Kuala Lumpur radar said, Malaysian 370, contact Ho Chi Minh 120.9, good night. And Captain Zahir replied, good night, Malaysian 370. Last verbal communication we heard. Now, at this point, MH370 was expected to contact air traffic control at Ho Chi Minh City as they flew into Vietnamese airspace, but no contact was made. Following this, MH370 follows a very bizarre flight path. So I'll summarize as best I can without getting too technical. So through a series of radar and later satellite pings, the flight path was traced as follows. So while it's over the South China Sea, the aircraft makes a left-hand turn and starts heading back southwest towards Malaysia, but it stays right on the border of Malaysia and Thailand. So it's kind of crisscrossing between both of their airspaces, so no one really knows who's in control of this aircraft when talking to ATC. Now, upon reaching the Strait of Malacca, the aircraft turns into a northwest direction. From here, there's only estimates as to what happened next. It's presumed that the aircraft then made another left turn, going almost directly south into the southern Indian Ocean, one of the most remote places on Earth. It's assumed that the aircraft eventually ran out of fuel, making its final resting place in that remote area. 
So that part is sort of estimates by a few satellite pings. There was part of the ACARS that was turned off, whether it was done on purpose or done because of an onboard fire, nobody really knows. So there was another part of the ACAR system that was continually trying to communicate with the ground or with satellites. And they received a few pings here and there. They don't know the exact positions though. So now we're going to fast forward a little bit. Uh, and this is the information. And this actually came from uh, a YouTube video that Adele sent to me like, oh, we should check this out. Uh, and this was a report by 60 Minutes Australia. And they're talking about this new research that has come up. So this is uh, about a gentleman named Richard Godfrey. Uh, I'm going to give you a little synopsis of his background. Uh, and this was taken from the website mh370search.com. So Richard Godfrey completed a Bachelor of Science at the University of Salford in Computer Science and Systems Engineering and a postgraduate diploma in European Business School INSEAD in uh, Paris. He has designed and successfully operated a number of avionic systems for a wide range of commercial and military aircraft, including the Boeing 747, Panavia Tornado, the F-16, the LTV-A7 Corsair. These avionic systems include autopilots, automatic landing systems, and flight management systems. He was the lead engineer for the integration and test of the European Space Agency Space Lab with the NASA Space Shuttle. In this capacity, he designed and implemented an engineering simulator of the NASA space shuttle. So he's got a decent background, right? Yeah. What? So, so now Richard has been able to use a new method to locate what he believes is MH370. He was able, I, I didn't word that correctly. He has a new way that he's used that he believes can locate MH370. He was able to track MH370's flight path by analyzing disturbances in ham radio waves. So basically, ham radios are, you know, radios that people use to communicate to each other all around the world. It's, uh, I believe they're like short band radio waves. And what he did is he analyzed where those radio waves were being disturbed in the air and was able to track MH370's flight path that way. So using this method, he believes he can narrow the search area to about 300 square kilometers instead of the 305,000 square kilometers being searched before. He also states that he was able to track the aircraft going into a holding pattern for about 20 minutes upon entering the airspace above the Indian Ocean. So it looks like, like I mean, you've been in a holding pattern when there's you know traffic or weather at an airport, and then you just kind of go in circles until you get clearance to get out of the holding pattern and then like go in for your landing or whatnot. So apparently the aircraft went into one of those holding patterns for 20 minutes and then continued its journey south into the South Indian Ocean. Yeah, I know. I, I, I saw that same video and I saw a little bit of the the investigations and things that were um, done right after uh, the disappearance of MH370. But uh, yeah, what the, um, the search, when did mm -hmm. that end? The search ended, I believe it was in 2017, and that was like they were using all sorts of really neat technology. Uh, they would have boats with automated like submarines that would go and scan the ocean floor. Now, the problem is when you're searching such a broad area, you only get one pass, really. Like, okay, now we searched that area, but you only saw it from one angle, basically. Yeah. If we had a, if we had a narrower search area, we could go over, like as he's saying, 300 square kilometers, we could go over that and over it, and over it again until we find something, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was also, unfortunately, very costly Oh yeah. To, to do that. So they had to stop because 
yeah. I mean, at I, some point. I mean, the whole, the analogy of a needle in a haystack, it's like, it's like a grain of sand in a haystack that's as high as the Empire State Building. Like it's. Well, a grain of sand in the ocean. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah, you, it's an aircraft is an aircraft. It's huge, especially the 777-200. It's very big aircraft. It's a lot yep. of plane, a lot of parts, yep. a lot of metal. However, the ocean is infinitely bigger than an airplane. <laughs> yeah. So it's swallowed it up and it's somewhere, but we just really don't know where. And yeah. at this point too, we don't know what happened to the aircraft. So did it crash in several pieces? Did it just so, somehow land on the ocean and sink? So it seems like... I don't want to say the consensus, but one of the main theories as to what happened was um, that Captain Zaire was in control of the aircraft right until the end and then did a controlled landing on water. Now, there have been a few aircraft parts that have washed ashore uh, on islands in the Western Indian Ocean, uh, Reunion Island, which is actually owned by France. But uh, yeah, a few a few islands like that. But we have, haven't found the bulk of it. Some experts believe that the aircraft is in maybe three or four large pieces and have, at this point has sunk to the bottom of the ocean there. Really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I just feel for the families and and friends and everyone that has lost someone in that crash. And, you know, if the captain had malicious intent then we need to figure it out. But also he's very, um, a lot of people are pointing fingers at him. Mm -hmm. So if he had nothing to do with the crash, yeah. I hope that his family can get some closure and know that he wasn't a bad person. He didn't cause this, mm -hmm. you know, mystery, eight year mystery at this point, ongoing mystery. Yeah. So I, I just, I hope for them that they can figure it out because, you know, imagine for eight years, the world thinking that your loved one is, a murderer oh yeah and now it would turn out maybe he's not or something else happened or you know i know uh, eight years is such a long time especially for again it's such a large aircraft but it's such a vast ocean and it's interesting that the aircraft itself was aimed almost at like one of the most remote places on earth like literally there's no no landfall anywhere like, <laughs> yeah, and the then when you think about that, it seems that it was deliberate. However, since we don't really know anything, we can only speculate yep. and assume. And I don't know, you know, I feel innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. We're going to follow the story uh, as it unfolds as well. If they are going to resume the search, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll get some answers. That's the main thing right now. Yeah. Answers for everyone. And, you know, what if there's a malfunction on the aircraft? Yeah. It's, Maybe it's so interesting. We should know about that. Well, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, new procedures need to put in place. Everything, every time something happens, we put new procedures in place. But this is such yeah. a mystery that we have just zero yeah. idea of how to go about the and rest. It's such a mystery because for a plane flying northeast to its destination to all of a sudden turn start going southwest and then northwest and then straight south like completely the opposite direction of its destination into the most remote part of the world and with no communication 
know nothing. Systems were deactivated one way or another. Nothing from passengers, nothing from the rest of the crew. No, like, what the heck happened? <laughs> so answers would be nice. So let's hear from uh, from our listeners. What do you think happened? We're gonna post uh, post about this on our Instagram and uh, comment on there, or send us a send us an email. We'd love to know what you think happened. Mm-hmm. And um, we're still working on our next episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, we've reached out to a few people to get some stories. However, if you're listening and you're, doesn't matter if you're with us or whatever airline, um, if you've recently completed initial training and you've also done your first flight, we'd love to hear about it. We've shared our first flight stories before, but we've both been in the airline industry for a few years. So it wasn't, um, the story retelling wasn't fresh. Wasn't as fresh, yeah. So we would like to hear your impressions, especially since you're all, I mean, these stories would come from all you new new hires and you're still new hires, you know, you have, you still don't have much experience. So what has your first pairing, your first flight, your first layover, what has that been like? Mm-hmm. You know, what differences did you notice from training to real life? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it what you expected? Was it completely uh, different? Was it fun? Was it nerve wracking? Mm-hmm. Was it scary? You know, we want to hear. Um, we want to hear about this, and we'll we'll share, and uh, we'll get a few stories in the next. Uh, it'll probably take a little bit of time to just gather all the stories because you know yeah. people are busy, and we have to reach out. And um, but yeah, send us your stories. You can get send a voice memo, or you can type it out. Whatever you feel like. Yeah. DM us uh, on Instagram. Send an email. Wherever you feel uh, comfortable um, sending this message to. And uh, yeah, hope, uh, hopefully if you are a new higher flight attendant, also that your flights are going well and that you are enjoying it. And I hope that uh, everyone out there who's flying, hopefully you're nice to your possibly new flight attendants. Because they might have to save your butt one day. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We have new episodes every Wednesday. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Moderate Turbulence on Instagram, at Mod Turbulence on Twitter, and follow us individually on Instagram at Huffy J and at La Delvi. Thank you.